Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking all about strength and fitness and midlife women and what's possible. And this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart because I've always been I'm going to call myself a gym rat. Like I've always been interested in fitness and then having experienced burnout, physical, mental, emotional burnout. I, there was a long point where I just did not have the energy to work out. And now I'm on the, in the process of making my comeback and I'm finding things a little bit different, (laughs) like different things, you know, as we navigate menopause and all the things. So today I have with me, uh, Susan Niebergall, who is the owner of Susan Niebergall Fitness, who is a strength and fitness coach. And she's going to talk to us all about uh, her journey through fitness. So she's a retired educator turned fitness business owner. So I'm super interested in that. And uh, just all about like what's possible and how can we can be at our physical best at this point in our lives. So welcome, Susan. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Super excited. So tell us a little bit about, yeah, your, like your, first of all, like your decision to go from educator to fitness yeah. <laughs> guru, guru. Yeah. and then kind of what your, what your journey has been like in terms of navigating health and fitness. Sure. I was a teacher by trade for 33 years. I was a, a music teacher, a band director, and then turned school counselor. I got my master's degree in school counseling and was a mm-hmm. school counselor most of my education career. I retired about five, it's been five or maybe even six years now Mm. since I retired from the school system. And I was one of those people just through my whole life that was on the heavier side. I was never obese, but I was always kind of chunky or or what was that word back in our day? Husky, Husky. <laughs> that term, right? It was, I was just always a little overweight. And then sometimes it got to be a lot more overweight than others, but I was the consummate yo-yo dieter for most of my uh, life. And I literally just published a book about my whole journey and all the fitness mistakes I made because I made a ton of them over the decades, such as I invested a lot of time and money into Jenny Craig, which on the Mm -hmm. surface seems to be cool, you know, good, a meal plan or whatever. And at that moment, it probably was good for me. But unfortunately, like a lot of plans like that, you don't learn a whole lot along the way. And for anybody that might not know, Jenny Craig is one of those, you buy their food, you eat their food, you lose weight. And right. it was that right. thing. There was no thinking involved, right? I had no idea how much I was eating, calorie counts, protein. I knew nothing about that. I just did what they told me to do. And I lost about 50 pounds. Wow. And after that point, uh, and that was back in the late 80s, I believe. And from that point on, I yo-yoed because I couldn't keep it off. And mm. I don't think I ever gained all 50 back, but I gained increments and then would lose increments and then gain increments. And because I didn't know how to do it, I never right. learned how to do it, Right. but I dipped my feet in all of the fads of the day, like the low mm. fat, no fat fad of the day. I did that. I did those little chocolate appetite suppressant squares. I did those. <gasps> what I, were those you, called? You know oh what I'm God. talking about? I, yeah, I, so someone cool. said they were called AIDS, AIDS. A-Y-D-S. Y- yes. 
or something really bad name right now (laughs) a really bad name well before all of that so um you know oh my god um, my mother used to eat those (laughs) yeah i know right those i did slim fast uh you know i did everything had to be whole this the word whole had to be in front of everything but my issue was i never understood nutrition no one ever explained it to me and i never bothered with anything other than I was eating healthy and I was eating clean. Mm. I was the consummate clean eater. I had my, as I got older, my food bubble got smaller and I would not allow certain things to pass through my lips hardly ever. And that was a big problem. That's a whole nother kind of mindset issue and relationship with food issue that I wasn't aware of at the time. But looking back on that now, yeah, that was a huge problem. Um, right. And right. So I worked my way bouncing around five, 10 pounds here, 20 pounds there, whatever. I never really owned a scale until about two and a half years ago. So I honestly didn't know how much I weighed, but I went by how I looked and how my clothes fit. And I was mm-hmm. that person that had two sets of clothes. I had the skinny clothes and the fat clothes, you know, right. for wherever I was at the time, because I never knew. Right. And so I had to keep everything because, you you know, you always had to have clothes to wear. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- through all this yo-yoing, I uh, hired trainers at the gym and learned to love lifting um, through the course of years. But none of these trainers, although they were all great in the, on the gym side of things, uh, most of them anyway, none of them really had a full on nutrition package to help me really put everything together. So while I was getting stronger and I loved being in the gym, I never had the whole thing put together until about really six years ago when I hired Jordan Syatt to be my online strength coach, because I thought at the time I wanted a power lift. And when I hooked up with him as my coach, I didn't really go to him for nutrition at that time, but he was leading the way in online coaching and especially in powerlifting and nutrition. And mm. I just started reading everything that he wrote, all of his videos. I started putting things into practice. And then we started coaching that a little bit too. And sure enough, my life changed. I mean, it was, it was stop making excuses as to why I couldn't do it. And I blamed menopause and perimenopause and all that and had all the tests done. And of course, everything came back fine. I had to have a come to Jesus moment with my uh, doctor. Yeah, I read that in that. your book. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That started the change. And then awareness after that little bits of being aware of what I was eating started bringing on some change. And then me connecting with Jordan changed everything. And so literally I'm 60 years old and I, I changed everything. It's been only five and a half years ago, maybe six. I think we're pushing on six now. And so my point in writing my book was to tell everyone, look, you're not alone. Like I did all that stuff, you know, and I've gotten so much feedback from people saying, I can relate to this. I could have written it. You know, this, I did all of this. And so my point is that you're not alone. And just because you screw up, no matter how many times you screw up, you can still change. I'm living proof. I am not genetically gifted. I am not, I am not athlete. I am just somebody who finally took responsibility, surrounded herself with the right people and started working and working at it and made it a priority. And I think what some of what you're just saying right now, I mean, all of what you're saying, but like what's really resonating for me is like, I don't know a midlife woman or not too many of them anywhere who doesn't want to lose weight or change her body in some way. Right. Like, like part of the territory, right. Like it just comes with it. Mm -hmm. And every single solitary one of those women. And I was there, I am no longer there, but I was there has the belief that 
oh, well, my metabolism is slow. Menopause, it's yep. like really hard to lose weight. You can't build muscle and all the things, right? Yep. Like, and I and was I, that girl too. Yeah. And, and so was I, I mean, you know, in the process of my burnout, I gained 30 pounds and, mm-hmm. you know, thought, okay, this is it for the rest of my life. Like, and I'd like, yep. I'd always been fit. Right. So this was yeah. very new for me. And then I just thought, okay, until, you know, I ended up with a trainer as well, who talked some sense into me and kept saying, it's not menopause, it's not menopause, right? And you can still eat fruit and you can eat carbs and you can eat all the things and you can still lose weight. And I was mm-hmm. like, holy yeah. hell, like I can do it, right? But I think we all go into this and I don't even know like where this myth started or why it's so prevalent, but every single solitary woman says that it's mm-hmm. just going to be harder. And maybe it is a little bit harder. It is. And I think that's fair. I think it's fair. I think that is more than fair. I think everything gets a little harder for us. Yeah. You know, training is harder for us because it's going to take longer for us to recover than than it does somebody in their Mm thirties, you know? So I think everything is a little bit harder, but we're really quick to give, and we we can use menopause as the the example. We are really quick to give menopause all the credit on why nothing's working. Right. When what happens and and let's be clear, our metabolism does slow down over the course of years, but not to the point where we can blame it for all the weight gain. Okay. That's not how much it slows down. And it slows down for a couple of reasons. One is over the course of decades, not just a year, but decades of time, we become less active because we have families, we have new jobs. We are not looking out for number one as much as we were. And especially when we have kids, oh my God, when the kids come in the picture, you know, we're running to practices, we're grabbing dinner on the fly. We're, we're not paying attention to calories and protein and, you know, most people aren't. No. And so that little bit of not focusing on ourselves, not focusing on our activity on, and, and most importantly, our nutrition meet together in middle age for this perfect storm of hormonal issues changing and us not having control over a situation for decades. Well, guess what's going to happen? You know, all the hormone, all the, those hormonal changes have us storing fat in our belly a lot. That's what we women do. And that's what we start to see. Right. And we think, oh, it's got to be menopause or, oh, it's got to be my metabolism. No, our metabolism doesn't slow down that much we're losing muscle mass along those decades too. And that's a significant problem. That's one reason why our metabolism does slow is because we're losing mass. Right. But the good news here about all of this is that you can fix it. You know, you, you, you don't have to surrender and wave the white flag. It's not over, right? Right. You can fix it. You can still build some muscle. You can kind of give your metabolism a little bit of a boost by building muscle. You can help your bone density by strength training, you know, I mean, all those things you can still do. Yeah. And I, let's, let's just talk about that for a second, because when you're in the throes of menopause or perimenopause and you might be having hot flashes, you're not sleeping as much as you want, like your energy is tanked. Like, how do you advise women to navigate through that? that? Like, okay, you know, I'm interested in strength and fitness. Like I want to go to the gym. Like how, I can't even peel myself off the couch right now because I didn't sleep last, last night. Like, how do you counsel women to manage through those things? I mean, so I'll start off by saying, and, and, and this is the tough love part of it. Sometimes you have to get your ass off the couch and go. Mm. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, 
right? There's no little magic dust that people can throw on there and say, okay, wait till you get motivated and then go, because you'll be waiting for the rest of your life. You know, it doesn't work that way, but that doesn't mean you have to get off the couch and go and do an hour long workout. That's lifting all this heavy weight, blah, blah. That's not what that means, but it does mean you need to get up off the couch. Okay. Because you're going to accomplish nothing by doing that over and over and over again. Right. And I think that's where people get the wrong idea. They think, well, I don't have the energy to go deadlift 150 pounds. Well, then don't maybe go to the gym, then get yourself in that kind of environment and maybe just walk on the treadmill if you want. Or if you have a short little metabolic routine that you can do with weights, go do that instead. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it has to be the the all out hour and a half long, whatever gym programs that don't have to be that long anyway, by the way. Um, But it doesn't have to be that big of a deal, but you have to do something. And that I think people get into trouble with that because they're not motivated to do it. And and, uh, who is you're tired? Because you're not sleeping, your cravings are probably getting a little bit out of control in your head anyway. You still control them, but you don't think you do. And you just kind of sit there and just eat. And that is where you have to like stop letting yourself do that. Is it easy? No, of course it's not. But I hear people tell me this, and this waves a really big red flag for me when I hear someone say, that's just what I do. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, Listen to what you just said. (laughs) You just gave yourself permission now to do it. You have not even thought about how am I going to make myself get off the couch or do whatever it is. You've just given yourself justification to keep doing the same behavior. And until that stops, there's going to be a problem, right? You have to hold yourself accountable before anyone else can hold yourself accountable. So that's the tough love answer to that is you have to get up. Yes, you are tired and Maybe you're hungry or whatever, but the bottom line is you have to get up off the couch and just go for a walk or do something. Something. That's where it starts. It has to start there. And then the other thing, and I'll be quick to say this, people experience menopause very differently. You know, I had different symptoms than somebody else. Somebody's are way more severe, have to go on hormone replacement. Others might be over here. We're all different. But one thing I do recommend that if, if you are not sleeping, consistently not sleeping and are having trouble just functioning, you need to go see your doctor and yeah. have a conversation because I'm certainly not a doctor. I'm not going to say take this or do this, but that needs to happen because maybe there are options for you. Maybe they're not. I don't know, but you'll never know unless you go. Yeah, that is so true. And I know, I think you've said this, I mean, it's, it's in your book, Fit at Any Age, but like why strength training is the number one anti-aging thing yeah. for women. Can yeah. we talk a little bit about that and like why it is so important for women, and especially as we get older, to wait? Sure. Yeah. It does so many things for us. And we can talk about the physical and the emotional, but the physical, obviously, strength training is going to build lean muscle mass. If you want to age with functional movement, still being there. Like you can sit down, you can stand up, you can get on the floor, get up. You can play with your grandkids. You have strength to turn a doorknob when you're 85 years old, those things. That's what strength training now is going to do for you. It's going to improve your quality of life physically from the moment you start all the way up to whenever, you know, Mm -hmm. and as someone who watched her elderly mom, um, go through hell when she was approaching 90, It's something I vowed I will never, ever allow myself to get to that point. I mean, I'm going to control whatever it is I can control, which is strength train and do that appropriately for the rest of my life. So I can stand up so that if I do fall, I won't automatically break a hip. 
you know, things like that. That's what strength training will do. Not only build muscle mass because gosh knows we've been losing muscle mass since age 30, but we can stop it and actually build some, but it also helps with our bone density. And that goes often goes overlooked because, mm-hmm. you know, people get frail, they, their bone density goes way down and they fall. Boom. It's an automatic break, right? Yeah. Automatically. Yeah. Right. And when you're old and you've broken a hip, that's tough. That is, yeah. that is a tough place to be. Strength training can improve your bone density. Research is out there. It can improve your bone density and it also can help with the symptoms of menopause. Yes. Now, so true. It is, it is. And that to me, that's what it did for me. Cause I was the person with the hot, not hot flashes, uh, night sweats. I had night oh, yeah. sweats. Yeah, me too. I never really had the hot flashes per se. I guess hot flashes are just kind of night sweats at night. I don't know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> I had night sweats. And so my sleep was affected a lot and I never went on any medication or anything for that. I had conversations with my doctor about it, but just not that I had anything against it. I was just like, nah, I don't know. let me try to work this out. But strength training helped for sure alleviate a little bit of that symptom. Did it take it away? No, it did mm-hmm. not. But it helped me function because I was right. a school counselor at the time. I had to get my butt up and go to work, right. you know, and then I was training people when I got my certification after school, a couple days a week, I had a long day, you know, so I had to make sure I could do that. But those are the obvious kind of physical benefits to strength training, the emotional and mind, the mindset benefits to strength training. It's hard to describe adequately with words, but I will tell you this strength training. Once you can start lifting some heavy stuff and heavy is relative to where you're at. So I don't want anyone to think that heavy means I, if I can't lift 300 pounds, I'm not, you know, I'm not lifting not doing heavy. It, yeah. That's not what that means. It means that what is heavy for you. So lifting heavy weight starts bringing in confidence to you. And that confidence bleeds over into every aspect of your life. You will see it almost immediately. And for those people who have done it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. For those of you that haven't done it, you need to do it to see what I'm talking about. It's just something you have to to see for yourself, but you will feel it instantly and it will change your life. I built a business. I would never, ever have thought about building a business after retiring from being in a job for 33 years. My thought was riding off into the sunset, drinking coffee, watching morning TV or whatever, (laughs) you know, and that's not what happened at all. I would never have done this ever, ever, ever if it wasn't for that. So there's too many benefits. For sure. I mean, like the, the feeling of, you know, going in and challenging yourself with some heavy weights, like you feel like a total badass after that. hundred percent. There's like, nothing like that feeling, by the way. Nothing. <laughs> there is nothing like that feeling. And I like in the middle of my divorce, when I thought my life was falling apart, like I would be in the gym some days crying and deadlifting at the same yeah. time. But yeah. like literally it gave me like the strength to follow through. And yeah. then second to that is, like even just making the commitment to yourself to go in and do that, like that's enough to make you feel like a badass. Yeah. Right? It, so put the it, two whole, things together. It's you know, powerful. It's like keeping a promise to yourself. We're really with that in general. Yeah. You know, we'll yeah. keep a promise to our friends yeah, quicker than we'll keep one to ourselves. You know, to everybody except everybody for, except for ourselves. ourselves. Right. Yeah. And there's always a reason. There's always something that comes up. And I love that point because I think that that often gets overlooked in the whole picture is that holding yourself accountable. In other words, that, that's also known as keeping a promise to yourself. That is so important moving forward. And the fact that you go to the gym, even when you don't want to, because mm-hmm. you're tired or you're whatever, when you go there. And after you leave, you will feel a million times better than before you went. 
every single time, you know, you will never regret not going, you know, it's, or maybe that was a double negative. You will never regret going, (laughs) Going, right? Yeah. You will never regret going. You will regret not going at some point in time, but there's never a person that has regretted going to the gym. And one thing I tell people, if you're struggling with getting your butt up off of the couch to go is to think about how you're going to feel afterwards, not how you feel in that current moment. Focus on that. Focus on, remember, it doesn't have to be this ginormous workout. It can be whatever, but go because when you are done, you will feel so much better and that will start the motivation wheel going. Yeah, absolutely. It's what I call is what I teach to my clients and I call it the fast forward technique. So like fast forward yourself past the thing that you're, that you don't want to do and put yourself in that place and think about how good you feel and what you've accomplished. And that in itself is enough motivation to get you through. And for the most part, like the resistance is small. Like once you get going, you're like, oh, okay, I'm here. I'm going to do it. So it's just getting over that little hump. That's exactly it. And so many times people say, okay, I'm just going to go to the gym and walk on the treadmill for five minutes and call it a day. And then they're on there. Once they start walking, man, then they're, okay, it's five turns into 10 and then maybe 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, you're still there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That is my rule. Like I have to like go into the gym and if I get in there and I start and I'm like, I really can't do it today. I have full permission to leave. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, but I, you know, and because some days you're just like, today is not the day, right? Like this is yeah. all I can give today. But I also have another thing that says no zero days. So if I've committed, I have to do something. And some days that could be, you know, after you haven't slept, like I walked into the gym, I did one set of something and I'm like, okay, that's it. But now I can still check that I have, it wasn't just it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think like building that kind of commitment with compassion, as opposed to commitment, like beating yourself up right? Like is a big thing, right? Because oh, otherwise I failed, you know, I didn't do the whole thing. Like what good is it? Right. You know, the, the whole thing of failure, it's an interesting concept because I was never, I never really thought of it this way. failure to me before always used to imply the end, right? It, mm-hmm. You screwed something up. It was done. It was over. Now I look at it very differently. I mean, we fail all the time. You know, every day I'd fail at something, right? Yesterday it was technology in a big way I failed. And I don't just say, screw it. Okay, I failed. I screwed it. So I I might as well just not do this anymore because I screwed up my technology yesterday. You know, I look at it as a chance now to get up, dust myself off and keep going and and learn from it and get better at it, you know? And I think it doesn't matter how many times you quote fail or you don't succeed. As long as you don't quit, you will ultimately succeed, you know, as long as you don't quit. And I think that message is so, I don't know, it's so optimistic and it's, it's for everyone, you know, as you, you can't mess it up, you know, so it doesn't matter how many times you fail. You can't I mean, mess it up. You, totally. I mean, like how many versions of the iPhone were there before Steve Jobs got it right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Like there was probably 10, 15, 20, 30. I, I've, I've actually read that, but I can't remember what the number is. But yeah, like he didn't quit. And now look at iPhone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. What do you think is the number one thing that holds women back from strength and strength training? Not knowing what to do. I, I think gym intimidation slash. And I think that gym intimidation is a result of I don't know what to do. Like, right. I think I think a lot of women want to go into the gym, but they think that people are going to look at them and judge them, laugh at them, whatever. And the irony here is most people in the gym don't care. Like we think no. they do. Yeah. We all think that they're looking right at us and they're talking about us and they're laughing at us and, and all this stuff. When 
Really? That's not true. I mean, is there, are there jerks in every gym? Of course there are, but for the most part, people aren't doing that. So I think not having a plan, like trying to get like, and I, I say this story a lot because I've seen this happen at my gym where I see women walk into the free weight section and they wander around and you can just see them thinking, right? You can see them thinking out loud. They have the, the bubble above their head, right? And, <laughs> and you can see that and they don't know what to do. And they just keep wandering. They spend five minutes ish wandering from this area to that area. And then this one woman ends up at the cable. We have a multi-use cable thing. And right. she ends up over there and we'll do lat pull downs and we'll do bicep curls. And then she gets up and she wanders around. And then I see her leave the free weight area. And that person, I want to reach out to that person and say, let me give you something to do. She didn't know what to do. You could just mm-hmm. tell that was it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because they go with what they can remember on the spot. And right. people remember lap pull down or bicep curls, right? And so in her mind, she's probably thinking, I worked out today, check that box. But we both know that that what just happened is, you know, is it going to get her where she wants to be? No. I mean, in a bigger picture, was it good that she went in there and actually did something? Absolutely. 100%. The best way to help someone like that is I tell everyone, if you don't know what to do, hire a coach, an in-person coach for a handful of sessions. So that person can lead you through basic strength training techniques that you can do safely, that they can check your form, that you can progress with weight so that when you go there on your own, you have a little a lesson plan, things that you know that you need to do when you go in there. You don't have to remember what you saw on YouTube or, you know, you what this person, this cool exercise this person did. You have something prescribed for you. And I love doing it in person first because having an appointment is cool, is great. And I also think having someone there to allay your fears about form. Am I doing this right? I don't want to get injured because I think that's a hesitation for women yes. too, right? Yeah. I think that's a big one. So having someone there to help you through that will help. And then if you want to get into the online space, there's a lot of great online coaches that could help you from that point on when you have a little bit more of a base of you know a foundation, you know? Yeah. So I think getting help early on is super important. Yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, asking for help is something that a lot of us women struggle with because we're like, we got to do it all and be everything for everybody. Yeah. But when it comes to ourselves and I see this, like, not just like with fitness, you know, where, but with everything where, yeah. you know, we're struggling and we'll be struggling for a long time. And I remember like when, you know, like even like, okay, you know, we're dealing with aging parents or whatever. And like, I remember like the last time my dad was in hospital and I thought, wait a minute, I'm not doing this all by myself. And I called up a bunch of people and I was like, okay, you take this time, you take this time, you take this time. We got it covered. Then I was like, damn, why didn't I do that sooner? Like, yeah, right? that's awesome. Yeah, I know. And so I was like, wow, why have I always thought that I have to do this myself? And so this idea of reaching out and asking somebody who knows to get you started, right? It could even be a friend. Like if you have a friend that you know that goes to the gym, reach out and say, hey, can you help me? Can I come with you one day or something, right? Like it doesn't need to be, you need to go spend thousands of dollars with a coach or or It's going to be uncomfortable, you know, for a lot of people, but you're never going to make change if you stay in that comfort zone too much, you know, you got to dip your toes out. And so it will feel uncomfortable, whether you hire somebody or or whether you have a friend or whatever it is. Yeah. It's going to feel uncomfortable. Sure. But 
the only way to get past that. And, and if there's a fear, the only way to face your fear is to face your fear. You know, yeah. you have to, you have to do it. And so I think um, even hiring a coach, you know, you don't have to spend the thousands of dollars on a coach. We're talking a handful of sessions to get you started. And then you go on, on your own way. Yeah. So I think it, and, and now I know it's kind of hard depending on where you are and gyms being closed and, you know, that that's yeah, a whole yeah. different layer of complexity that we never expected would ever happen to us. Right. So you know, maybe YouTube is your friend right now if you're at home and how could you incorporate strength training at home? And here's what I tell people to do right away is give yourself, okay, I'm going to do by the end of every single day, I'm going to do 20 squats, 20 squats. If you don't know how to squat, sit in a chair and stand up because that's basically what a squat is. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and then by the end of the day, you're also going to do 20 push-ups, and maybe you don't know how to do push-ups, So you put your hands against a wall and you start, you know, you can Google on YouTube, good form for a push-up, and you're going to see what good form is and do it on the wall. And as you get stronger, then maybe you go to the kitchen counter you know, and do them from there. And maybe when you get stronger from there, you go down to the couch and you work your way down to the floor, but you could start there in your own house right now. Like start where you are. Yeah. Like whatever's available to you, whatever you can do, start where you are. Yep. Can we talk a little bit about weight and scale obsession? Yeah. Oh, less. Yeah. (laughs) Like I was reading something, somebody posted and, you know, she was like, I can't lose weight. Like no matter what I do, you know, like my clothes are looser, you know, I feel like my body's changed, but the scale won't budge. And I'm so frustrated. And I was thinking like, sister, (laughs) so if their clothes are changing, they're losing fat. Yeah. Boom. They're losing. So it is working. It (laughs) is working. Exactly. And I think people in our generation in particular, we were brought up with, if the scale goes up, it's bad. If it goes down, it's good. There was no talk ever about scale fluctuations and what happens on a normal, within a day on the scale, right? Uh, There was no talk about that. It was just up. Ooh, that's bad down. Ooh, that's great. You know, even if it happens overnight, we think we gained fat overnight or we think we lost fat overnight and neither happens, right? (laughs) right? There's so much nuance to the scale. And the problem is when you're thinking like that, every time it goes up, you're thinking it's bad. Every time it goes up, it it hits you in the gut and you let that number now ruin your day or it becomes an emotional thing. And then you're thinking, I must not be doing something right. And then you let the emotion start driving the car. And when the emotions drive the car, you're in big trouble because you're going to do stuff that is probably going to be extreme just to get the scale to move in a direction you want it to go. And you won't be able to sustain it anyway. So then you're going to be in this just wheel of constant, nothing works, nothing works, nothing works. When what really will work eventually is getting into a modest calorie deficit. And I always use the formula of taking what you want to weigh in pounds, multiplying that by 12 and starting with that and be consistent with that. That means you have to be consistent with it more than a week, 30 days, maybe even 60 days of 90% consistency. And that means hitting it 90% of the time, including weekends, you know, and then Let's not forget protein. Protein's the one macro I tell everyone you really ought to track because that's going to help you maintain and build your muscle. And that's what we all need right now. So hitting your your calories and your protein over the course of 30 to 60 days at 90% consistency, do that before you say anything doesn't work. And then let's say after 30 days, the scale's not moving much at all, you know, a half pound, pound, whatever, after 30 days, but your measurements have gone down. So don't change anything because it's working. You know, it's working. You're losing fat. 
the scale will do its thing. And the scale doesn't often catch up because of water retention. That's what Mm -hmm. so much of this is about anyway. And I've learned so much about myself with this over the last two years, just weighing yourself every day and seeing what the scale does, maybe based on how you ate the day before, like the scale for me was up a pound and a half today. Well, I had a lot of sodium based food last night. This makes perfect sense, right? Right. Did I eat that many calories to gain a pound of fat overnight? Of course I didn't. No. Right. Will this water weight go away? Of course it will. You know, you just start to learn that. Do I like seeing the scale go up? No, Right. there's not a human being on the planet that likes that. But the difference is I don't allow that negative feeling now to, oh, I've got to reduce my calories today. And now I've got to, you know, eat way less as a punishment because I ate much yesterday. You know, I don't do that because when you start doing that, you're really perpetuating this bad relationship, not only with the scale, but with food. Well, and two, I think so much of this, and I've been guilty of this in my past, like the number on the scale is, has become synonymous with our value and like how good we are, how, you know, like, so today is a good number. So I feel really good about myself. Tomorrow is a bad number. So now I feel bad about myself. Right. And the reality is like between hormones and like how much carbs or salt you ate the day before and water retention and whatever it is, we're letting that dictate how we feel about ourselves. Whereas I think if we're less focused on the scale and tell me, I mean, this is your expert expertise is like when we're less focused on the scale and more focused on like what our body can do, or maybe how our clothes are fitting. Right. Like I know for me, like when I, I went on this mission, like a few years ago where I decided I was going to become as strong as I could possibly become. I love I, that. I never looked at the scale. I didn't weigh myself. But my clothes were like falling off after a while. I was like, oh, wow, that was not my intent, right? For me, it was more like of a mental thing. I Um, love that more than I can even begin to say. I I just got chills listening to that because that is it. When mm -hmm. you take your focus off this little square thing that we all step on all the time and focus on what can my body do? Maybe give yourself a specific goal. Like I gave myself a goal. My original goal was chin-ups because I could never do them. Once I started doing them, a more recent goal was I wanted to do a 45 pound weighted chin up. Right. And I worked on that for years. That was kind of a drive in all my workouts. And I just did it maybe two months ago, maybe maybe three months ago. Hold the phone. So you're 60. I think I've heard you say you're 60 and you just did chin up with a 45 pound weight strapped to your body. Yes. Whoa, girl, that's amazing. (laughs) That's truly amazing. But so, so here's the funny thing about it. You give yourself a goal and know that these goals take time to reach. It's not like you're going to reach it in a month or whatever. This took me years to get to this, right? It wasn't anything that I just decided to do and it just happened. And actually the pandemic helped that along because with the gyms closed, I gave myself these little performance-based to-dos every single day. And one of them were, I was, I have a chin-up bar right outside my door here. And I was going to touch chin-ups every single day as a grease the groove thing, not like to failure, just make sure that they felt strong because they weren't feeling really great at that time. And I started adding reps every week. And then when I got to like 12 reps, I'm like, you know what, let me back off the reps. I'm going to start weighting these and let's really focus on driving towards that 45 pound weight thing. And that kind of helped spur this on, but focusing on performance-based goals is probably the best thing you can do Mm -hmm. while keeping obviously your nutrition in check. You can't just forget about nutrition completely while you're doing that. But when you keep your nutrition in check, And you focus less on what that number says and more about 
what did I do in my deadlift today? Or how did I, how can I increase weight for my squat or whatever exercise you will find the other goes right along with it. Like you found, right. Mm -hmm. Oh, your clothes will start falling off because you're, you're starting to lose fat. You're building muscle, the scale. And if you were to step on the scale, you would probably see a difference there as well. It's just, we just grew up this way. Like this thing, it, we equate it to our value. And here's the funny part about it. When it takes so long to lose fat and we, we like, God, why won't the scale go down? It takes so long. But yet the second it goes up, I gained, we're thinking I gained fat overnight. Yeah. Like, like it makes no sense. <laughs> That's why our emotions are going crazy. Yeah. I mean, I call it the random number generator. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Cause it's really random and it means nothing. It took me a while <laughs> to get to that place. I love that. <laughs> it's like, you know, you spin the wheel and some number is going to come yeah. up, but it means nothing. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is when I eventually did get on the scale, like I was actually heavier than I had ever been. And had I been watching that, I would have been freaking out somewhere along yeah. the way. Yeah. Right. And like, but I looked better. I loved the way my body looked. I loved what I was able to do and like how it impacted my life. So not just in the gym, but outside of the gym. Right. You know, everybody's at such a different place with the scale. And I usually for almost everyone, I recommend still weighing every day, just because you need to live through the fluctuate. You need to live through seeing spikes right. and you need to live through seeing the whooshes and how over a month's time, if you were to graph your weight, Oh, during that month, it would look like a heart rate monitor. I mean, you know, it would just be up, down, da, 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 right, you know, the right. whole way. But what you want to see and where you want to compare is day one to day 31. Those the are the trend. two numbers you can actually compare directly because yeah. there's enough time in between to start seeing a trend. And you want to see that slight downward trend. Now, trying to compare Monday to Tuesday or Wednesday to Monday, or that's ridiculous. That's like the stock market, right? Your stocks <laughs> are going up and down every day. You don't pull out, pull your stocks out because it went down one day, right? They're in there because right. you're in it for the long haul. And right. the same thing with losing weight, right? You're in it for the long haul. It's going to go up and down. Sometimes it's going to be so random and it's going to piss you off because you're going to say, I've been perfect with my nutrition for the last four days and the scale hasn't moved at all. And I'm like, welcome to water weight 101, yeah. <laughs> you know, welcome to it's too soon to start making any kind of observation about the data you're collecting, because literally the first 30 days of weigh-ins are nothing but data. They mean yeah. absolutely nothing from a current standpoint. They will mean more as you keep going. But those first 30 days, you're just collecting data. They're meaningless in relationship to each other. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about now the other number that people get obsessed about, calories. So I, in fact, I was having this conversation with somebody a little while ago who was trying to lose, you know, 15 or 20 pounds. And her comment to me was, I'm eating a thousand calories a day. And I'm thinking to myself, uh-oh, this is not going to go well, right? Like, and I know her, she's a pretty active person, right? So she's like, this, is, this has got to do it. And so like, sure, you know, and this is the way it happened. It was sustainable for a few weeks. <laughs> if that until, long. Yeah, if that long until she's like, I have zero energy. I can't mm -hmm. do anything. But, you know, mm -hmm. like what if I eat more than, you know, 1,200 calories, I'm going to gain weight. Right? So, so yeah. That person, and I hear this all the time too. The bottom line is if you're eating 1,000 calories a day consistently, you'd be losing a lot of weight. 
So the reality is you're not eating a thousand calories a day. That's Mm -hmm. what's happening. You're not eating. You can't be consistent with that. That's the problem. And here's a typical pattern with someone like that. They can hold on to that for like three days, let's say. And then they have that extra little handful of something. And it's like, you know, there wasn't that much more. It's, It's cool. And that one little handful now starts. It's more than one the next day, you know. And so we've snuck out of that a thousand already a little bit. We're thinking it's a little bit, but we don't even track that little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And then pretty soon, you're so sick of being hungry all the time that you're out running errands and you're out for lunch and you're hungry. You want something to eat. And so you get something and you're thinking, you know what? That's probably just, it's not that much more. I'm good, you know, whatever. And, And maybe you do that again. And then back to Monday, you're back to a thousand calories and you're miserable. And all you think about is how miserable you are And I can't lose weight eating a thousand calories when the reality is you're not eating a thousand calories. You're eating well more than that. And it's coming from a lot of different Mm, places. And I think the lack of being able to hold that consistent is the big issue. They, in our heads, in people's heads, they think I can't lose with 1000. Why in the world would I even try to up my calories to a prescribed 1500, let's say. And the reason is because you're going to be consistent with that 1500 well more than you were consistent with that 1000. And it eventually, you know, a thousand will, you know, if you're eating a thousand out of the gate, that's going to start leading the race. But that 1500 slow and steady, it's like the tortoise and the hare, right? The tortoise is going to catch up and is going to get to that perceived finish line or whatever, way quicker than somebody who's trying to juggle that 1000 calories and I can't stick with it. And plus, even bigger than any of this, why would you want to do that to yourself at this point in your life? Like, why are you wasting so much of your time being miserable on a thousand calories? You know, I know you want to lose 15 Mm. pounds. You can lose 15 pounds. Take your goal weight, multiply that by 12 and be consistent with that. And you will lose weight. Most everyone will lose weight with that if, and this is a big if, they are consistent with that. And we can talk consistency separately because that's a whole nother issue people are not honest about. But yeah. if you're not honest with yourself about calories, then you're, you're always going to spin your wheels. That is a given. But being honest at a modest calorie deficit, you will be able to enjoy your life. You will be able to go out and have a nice meal with family, friends, and really live your life. When you're on a thousand calories because you feel like you have to, you now have, well, you're miserable. You're hungry all the time. You have a poor relationship with food now and probably a poor relationship with other people because you're just hungry all the time and you've become (laughs) obsessive, you know, and here we are. If we're talking middle age, you guys, our timeline is not infinite, you know, and I'm really well aware of that now. It's not, we don't have infinite amount of space left on our continuum, right? We're farther ahead than a lot of people. And if you want to spend the rest of that part of your continuum, battling this kind of crap in that way, go ahead, but you're going to be miserable. You could be uncomfortable, eat some more, be strategic about it and understand why you weren't losing before. Be honest with what you're doing, track your consistency and give this a fair shot. You're going to be happier. You're going to be healthier. You're going to have a much happier life. Yeah. And it comes down to, again, it's that all or nothing thinking, right? Like I'm on a diet, I'm eating a thousand calories versus I could just, you know, reduce my calorie intake by 250 for a longer period of time. Right. And then just, and go about living my life. Cause chances are, you're not going to really miss the 250. Like you'll get used to that pretty easy, but like when you're cutting it in half or whatever, (laughs) you know, I have people when I do a lot of consult calls and, and and we talk about this and 
So I asked them what they want to weigh. And I do, I said, okay, I, I do the math. And I said, okay, here's where I would have you start. And let's say the number's 1800 calories. And they're like, 1800 calories, Susan, that sounds like a lot. And I'm like, what sounds like a lot and what actually is a lot are two very different things. First and foremost, 1800 is not a lot of calories and you can go through 1800 in a drive-through in a matter of two minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, um, it's very easy. And the second thing is it sounds like a lot because you're coming from an overly restrictive background of a thousand to 1200. And in relationship to that, yeah, that does sound like a lot more, but the reality of it is it's not. If you sit down and plan out 1800 calories for the course of a day, you'll find that you're going to use it up pretty quickly. And, yeah. and one thing that people don't understand is that humans, we suck at estimating stuff. So if you're estimating portion sizes, if you're estimating calorie counts, that's a bit of a problem because you're probably not going to be accurate, right. you know? And I think it's eye-opening if you've never weighed your food to start weighing your food because it sure is. it's very different. You know, I just think it's one of these things that we think it sounds like a lot, so it must be a lot. And that's just not accurate. <laughs> yeah. No. And like, I always think like, where did this like 1200 number come from? Cause it seems to be the magical number that everybody comes up with. So I'm everybody. Like, and, and I, I want to say this, cause I always get pushed back on this a little, little bit. There are people on this planet that that is an appropriate number for Right. Right. It's not many. It's not many. If you are small, meaning petite, you're not very tall. You don't weigh much right now and you want to weigh less. Well, then you may be down in right. that neck of the woods, right? But I have, a, I, for someone like that, I would actually recommend the opposite. I would actually recommend you go into maintenance and start with a focused muscle building campaign because you'll change how you look much faster than you trying yeah. to suffer through yeah. a thousand calories and get the, rid of the little bit of baby fat or whatever fat you have going on there in your belly that you want to get rid of. Yeah. And I mean, like, again, like focusing on those numbers versus focusing on what your body yeah. can do and what being physically fit or losing weight can do for you. Yeah. As opposed to like getting obsessed in the details of how many calories did I eat? And what does that number on the scale? Like, I was just reading something about a woman who I think she's 99 and she still plays hockey. Love it. And then another woman who's 103 who rides her bike every day. Ah, uh, love it. Right. Love it. And I was like, like, that's what it's all about. Like nobody yeah. is really doing this because they love the inside of the gym. Although I do love the inside of the gym. I have to say, I get excited about, but like the benefits outside of that and the reasons why I want to be physically fit, right. Are like innumerable. Like I, it's the quality of life, right. Mm -hmm. Like it's, you said, it's like, you know, staying healthy for longer. It's not, you know, I read somewhere that complications from a broken bone are like the, one of the number one killers of elderly people. I'm so not they break a bone and go into hospital and then yep. you don't come out a lot of times. Yeah. You know, and there's the opposite side of this fence where there are people that over-exercise, right? Mm -hmm. And they're in the gym all the time. And I write about that in my book too, how I did two days for a, a period right. of time, because if one is good, two must be great. Better. Right. <laughs> and I would tell people I loved it. And there was similar to that. But the reality was I was just scared not to do it because if I didn't do it, then I would lose progress. If I didn't do it, I was going to get fat. If I didn't do it, I wouldn't make any more progress. So fear was actually driving that whole process for me. And I wasn't being honest with myself about that. You know, everyone said, yeah. gosh, how do you exercise so much? Oh, I just love it. You know, but I was scared to death to not do it. And so when I got scaled back from working out six or seven days a week to four days a week, I thought I was going to lose my mind. 
You know, I was terrified. I was terrified. But, but what I found out from that was when I allowed my body to recover, holy Moses was my next workout that much better. I mean, it was so much more effective. I could lift more weight. I felt better. And then my progress went through the roof because the irony of my fear of all that back then was I was making no progress anyway. (laughs) You know, I wasn't making any progress, but I, I didn't see that then I was living in so much fear. I couldn't see any of that. And I know like from my own experience and like now, you know, you know, being in the throes of menopause and everything, like I have to approach it very differently than I did before, because I was like, you eat as little as possible and work out as much as possible. And now I know that I have to eat more and rest more in order to be effective. So it's a whole different strategy. And I also have to be a lot more patient. Yeah. Like when I lost 30 pounds, it took me a year. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Like it took me one, just under one year to do that. Right. But I also, you know, I wanted to go on vacation. I wanted to have the occasional glass of wine here and there. I love chocolate. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to sacrifice my quality of life anymore for some random number. But, you know, and the thing is, who cares how long it takes? Like we, we get these, this idea that there's a finish line. And there is not, there, there isn't one. Like, even if you hit a goal weight, it doesn't mean that you're done. Like when you reach a goal weight, you will either a not look like you thought you were going to look when you're there or B, you will have other goals, you know, something else, you you know, maybe you want to build some muscle at that point, there'll be something else, but there's never this finish line. And when we think there is, we get into the whole should be like, I should be losing weight faster. I should Mm -hmm. be doing this. I should be gaining more strength or the only like, I only lost a pound this week, or I only lost a half a pound. And the should be's and the only's start sitting on your shoulders like a burden that weighs 5 million pounds. And that burden that you carry makes you do things that really are going to be extreme that you can't sustain. That's going to keep you spinning your wheels. But once you can literally get that burden off your shoulder and stop worrying about how long it's taking you your life will change dramatically. It is the most liberating thing that has ever happened to me is finally not worrying about how long any of this crap takes because there's no end date. And when you can embrace that, everything changes, everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, thing too is like, you know, we see this, all this messaging out there, lose 10 pounds in 10 days, like all of this. Right. And then when we can't measure up to that, we think something's wrong. Yeah. Right. With us, like what's wrong with me? I can't lose weight. I can't lose, you know, five pounds in a week. Yeah. Right. When the reality is maybe some people can lose five pounds in a week, but other people can, and it's about honoring our own journey. And maybe if you lose five pounds a week, you won't be able to keep it off. So what's the point of that? Or you You feel like crap and you can't do the things that you want to do because you got no energy. Right. Right. It's right. Right. So what, like, so what's the point? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So I love this conversation and like, I am such a fan of strength training for any age of women, but especially for us as midlife women, for all the reasons that we talked about. So not just the physical reasons and, you know, like osteoporosis and, you know, uh, helping with menopause symptoms, but also like the confidence and like, really, it's a way to claim back your power. Yeah. And in two ways, by really understanding how incredible your body is at a time when, especially menopause, a lot of us feel like our bodies are betraying us, right? So really seeing the power in your own body and then carving out the time 
to commit to yourself. And for those two reasons, like claiming back that power, I just think is, you know, even if your body never changed and you went in and just marveled at the miraculous thing that, you know, that we have Mm -hmm. and, and claim that time for yourself. Like to me, that's like, the best thing any of us could be, could be doing. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. So everybody, I encourage you to go check out Susan's book called fit at any age. And not that I'm focused on, you know, how we look, but at 60, like incredible, the changes. So like, I also stopped your website and saw (laughs) (laughs) that you you have made in your own physique. And then what that has enabled you to do with your life is amazing. Like starting a business after retirement, Mm -hmm. which again, you know, totally amazing. I'm all about women, you know, living their best chapter. And the more women that we have stepping into their power and like owning this time of life, the better it is like the legacy that we leave for the next generation of women is hundred percent. hundred percent. Right. So, yeah. So we will, I'll put a link to your, to your site and to your book. Um, Thank you. Can you tell us where people can find you like on the socials or what sure. your website is? Yeah. I am on most social media outlets as Susan Niebergolf Fitness and it's N-I-E because if you get the letters mixed up at the beginning, it'll <laughs> go, I don't even know. But I post a lot of content on Instagram uh, and Facebook and I have an extensive YouTube channel with a lot of helpful videos there. I have a podcast as well called the Strong and Lean at Any Age podcast. And I've been doing, uh, yeah, I've been playing with, you know, I'm sort of, t- I'm not doing TikTok really, not that much. Um, that <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is just one of those things that's a little bit intimidating to me. Technology in general is just intimidating to me. And I have a website, SusanNeberGolfFitness.com. And I'm also, by the way, most of my business is actually with a group called The Inner Circle that I coach with Jordan Syatt. And people can go check that out. It's SFInnerCircle.com. And that is a group online group coaching option that Jordan and I do together where we provide structured strength training workouts. We provide nutrition guidelines for fat loss, maintenance, and surplus. We have video courses. We have recipes. We have a Facebook community where everyone supports each other and holds each other accountable. And that's that's a great option. I mean, it's a pri- di- way different price point than one-on-one coaching, but it's a great community. And there's a lot of middle-aged people in there. So some people get leery of that because they think it's all young people or whatever. And you know, there's nothing yeah. wrong with young people. We, we have the age range in there for sure. But so I spend a lot of time there. Excellent. Well, anybody listening, if being your best physical self or actually physical and mental self is on your list for 2021, then go check Susan out. We'll put all the links to her book and her social media sites. And I encourage you to check it out. It's uh, highly inspirational. So thank you, Susan. I appreciate you making the time to chat with us today. Thank you for having me. This was great. All right. We will talk soon, I'm sure. Thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.